Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Not a dividend. It's a tale of two Kwan. Now, your losses are on someone else's balance sheet. Generally speaking, airdrops are kind of pointless anyways. Um, um, unnamed trading them. firms who are very involved. Um, Alec.eth is the ultimate possible. DeFi protocols are the antidote to this problem. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Chopping Block. Every couple of weeks, the four of us get together and give the industry insider's perspective on the crypto topics of the day. So quick intros. First up, we've got Robert, the crypto connoisseur and captain of Compound. Next, we have Tarun, the Gigabrain and Grand Poobah at Gauntlet. Joining us today, we've got Laura, the CEO of the show, and you've got myself, Hasib. I'm the head hype man at Dragonfly. The four of us, well, other than Laura, we're early stage investors in crypto, but I want to caveat that nothing we say here is investment advice, legal advice, or even life advice. Okay, so the FTX story is the gift that keeps giving. Unfortunately, we cannot stop talking about it. We really wanted to. We were so looking forward to this story just slowing down. And people were speculating that it was going to be months until Sam was charged. It's very common in investigations of this kind of, of, of this sweepingness that they take a long time before any charges are filed because everybody's got to get their case in order before they actually uh, file charges. This has been incredibly fast. So basically yesterday it was finally announced that uh, Sam was arrested in the Bahamas and we had, actually I believe it was Monday night that he was arrested and then uh, file uh, uh, charges were unsealed first by the Southern District Attorney of New York uh, for wire fraud and a a bunch of other stuff, campaign financing laws and a bunch of other stuff that they um, uh, charged him with, as well as complaints, uh, civil suits from the CFTC and the SEC. And so uh, the the Southern District Attorney of New York didn't give a whole lot of details. Um, That was pretty sparse. But the the CFTC complaint and the SEC complaint have an enormous amount of detail that I want to just quickly kind of skim through for people who didn't actually themselves read the, um, the, the releases. So the first thing, and I'm, I'm kind of cobbling together from both the SEC complaint and the CFTC complaint, which both go through a, a full storyline of what happened with FTX and Alameda. Um, so first is the claim that FTX was knowingly commingling funds with Alameda from the very beginning uh, in May 2019 when it was originally founded. Uh, and from the very beginning, Alameda had an effectively unlimited credit line from FTX. Um, and at one point, they uh, in the programming, they explicitly set a flag in the code base called allow negative which basically allowed Alameda to go negative uh, and prevented them from being margin called in the liquidation engine whatsoever. Um, Alameda also had preferred API access to FTX. They didn't have to wait in the usual order queue with everybody else. And because their account didn't enforce certain checks in the liquidation engine, uh, they they had lower latency compared to any other trader. And so there was a special fast lane for Alameda to trade relative to anybody else. Um, So apparently when Alameda had an $8 billion hole in the summer after Luna exploded, uh, their liabilities were moved from Alameda, which, you know, at the time, you know, customer service within FTX could see, ah, this is the Alameda account. After that summer, the liabilities were moved into a separate account, which they called their Korean friend. And presumably this was to obfuscate, even from customer service at FTX, that this was an underwater account that belonged to Alameda Research. Sam claimed in uh, many of his public statements that users were wiring money directly to Alameda because FTX didn't have a bank account. But FTX opened that bank account in 2020 
but users kept wiring money to Alameda and those funds were never moved over into FTX. Um, one of the most fascinating things actually was that there, there, there was a blog post uh, that Sam wrote. This was, this was uh, detailed in the CFTC complaint if you want to read it. It's actually really interesting. So he, he wrote a, a, broad, a blog post and kind of prepped a, uh, a tweet storm about winding down Alameda in September of 2022. Uh, and this clearly after Alameda was already very deeply in the hole. And they had a, <laughs> they had a, a, a blog post title, which was, we came, we saw, we researched, announcing that Alameda was shutting down and unwinding. And that, you know, it just didn't make sense after, you know, Alameda had lost so much money uh, for them to keep Alameda going. Now, it seems to, it seems to imply at least even this fact that they were thinking about winding down Alameda seems to imply this idea that they thought that this was even possible to unwind Alameda without, you know, uh, basically destroying FTX, given the fact that Alameda held customer funds, that of course there was no way realistically to recoup them. Uh, But perhaps at that time he thought that there could be a way to liquidate the books of Alameda, you know, all the serum, all the FTT, all the locked tokens that they had at at something uh, resembling par. So we, we got we got a lot of details here, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about his arrest in a little bit. But just going through the the CFTC complaint, the SEC complaint, and the what you saw from the from the Southern District Attorney of New York, um, curious if you guys have thoughts, reflections on everything that we learned just from what what came out over the last uh, forty eight hours. I, I mean, the interesting thing, right, is like almost everyone who's been in crypto since twenty nineteen has always kind of heard the like rumor of like, I mean, almost at some point it wasn't even really a rumor. Like there was some like timing data you could see of like certain trades where it was like clear someone else was getting liquidation preference. But there was always the rumors of like, hey, Alameda always had this like extra low latency thing. I think the question of them having this unbounded account was never, that was actually something no one ever said. Everyone was like, oh, well, you know, if they're allowing cross-margining, they have to be extremely aggressive on liquidations, including to themselves, uh, because they were the first exchange to offer cross-margining, which is like, I can put up BAT and ZRX and SOL and, like, use that as my margin asset instead of putting up stable coins or BTC, right? So, like, BitMEX only let you do BTC. Finance at that time, I, I don't remember. I, th- I think they do do cross-margining now, but I don't think they did then. Um, and so that was their shtick of like, they were the first ones, like whatever, they supposedly had better risk management. They'd always brag about it. That's why I like listening to the sob story tour of Sam of the last couple of weeks. Like, oh, like I was just bad at risk management. I'm like, well, you were telling everyone in the world publicly the exact opposite for years. You think people are going to suddenly like, just be like, poof, that didn't happen. No, no way. I think like, it's interesting that like crypto people who are traders, like, knew half of the story, but like never could figure out the other half, which I think that was kind of the impressive part of it, right? It's like everyone, like, I mean, if I ask both you, Robert and Hasib, you guys have both heard that, right? Like the Alameda front oh, absolutely. Years, I mean, people, yeah, I mean, to, be, to be clear, people always speculated that Alameda had some special Not even speculated, people had some pretty good data of like latencies of timing, like when they, of, of like transactions they sent and stuff. Like there was like quite good data evidence of it like it it was clear they weren't even really hiding it that much no one thought they had unbounded accounts though that that's yeah and and to be clear i I doubt that even really came into play for a long time right like i mean alameda especially last year had the ability to borrow whatever money they were borrowing you know de facto on ftx and so i think there was no way to really even see what the consequences would be until alameda blew out as they did you know when ftx ultimately imploded well i think the idea of an unbounded account that can have negative value and negative value in the billions of dollars 
was is so outrageous that nobody would even create a rumor of that. Whereas everybody <laughs> in like their gut sort of would always suspect that like Alameda might get their orders to the exchange a little bit faster. Cause that's like an advantage you would expect to exist on an exchange that, you know, doesn't have a wall separating the entities of, that are owned by the same owner, but like nobody would have expected or guessed something so outrageous as, Oh, this one account has been, given extremely beneficial, unique permissions <laughs> such that it can violate the laws of financial physics whenever it feels like. Well, well, it's also crazy that ha- most of the company saw like Newton's equations of financial physics, like looking normal. There was no negative accounts, like everything was fine. And then there was this like multiverse that you hopped into that was like, I guess the Gary and Sam show that had, you know, like the, the crazy huge negative balances. The crazy thing to me, though, is there's no way Sam did this alone based on all of the allegations. And the real question to me is, like, who else and when will they kind of, like, will it be unearthed that, like, they conspired? Because, like, I I think even this, like, polycule conspiracy thing, this seems a little too big for just, like, the eight people. Well, so there was, I think, a Reuters story. Yeah, there was a Reuters story that broke that that, uh, Reuters got the code base for FTX. And they found the code commit. I think that Gary, I think Gary uh, wrote the no, code Nishad, Nishad, Nishad had a comment. Oh, sorry, Nishad. That. But, but I just can't believe it's just two people who did it and also rewrote all of the front end uh, interfaces to like hide this from every single, like it does seem like there was there's more, certainly there other more. people who have to have. Yeah, 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 for sure. For sure. At least in that meeting from like right after everything collapsed, Caroline, um, or at least the reporting from that meeting said that she, what she said the meeting was that only four people knew, and it was Sam, Gary, Nishad, and herself. Do you find that credible, or do you think it has to be more beyond those four? I think it's possible. I mean, it, yeah, I, I, I agree that it's possible. I think it depends on like uh, you know all the things you had to know at the same time to have a clear picture, right? So in in the way the code base was written, it didn't say you know Alameda specifically is not allowed to get liquidated. It's the, the PMM, which is the primary market maker, right? And so like the primary market maker could change. Except except the new account that was just discussed through the leak of the code base, which was our Korean friends account. Like they made up right. an account for a mysterious Korean whale. So given the same special privileges as Alameda to hide billions of dollars of losses of Alameda's, but instead of tagging it, the PMM or tagging it Alameda, they just called it like, oh, it's a Korean whale. Yeah, it's like don't. There's a no liquidate flag on the Korean. Engineering wise, it's just really hard for me to imagine all of the systems that this touched that had to have been rewritten. To like, there must have been some set of engineers who had run into some QAing bugs when they ran things against Prod, where they like found <laughs> that there there was like this thing, and they're like, oh, that must be just a bug, and like. It's just like hard for me to imagine conceptually, like given how they made um, so many other mistakes that they could have like perfectly hidden it in the entire engineering org. Like, it- so I like I recently did a show with Jesse Powell and Kevin Joe, and Kevin was saying that um, Sam was often bragging about how few engineers he had, um, something like a team of thirty or something like that. I don't I don't know like when he said that, so it could have been that up you know later on he had more, but. Do you guys remember anything like that? And like, maybe that was part of the reason is, you know, they were trying to hide it from as many people as possible or, li- or limit the number of people that might figure it out. 
Well, part of the mystique of FTX for years was it wasn't 30. He used to go around bragging that there was four engineers, <laughs> right? Oh, wow. And that they were like, and like, everyone's like, how can you run an exchange with four engineers? It just seemed superhuman. That was the pitch deck. I, I think the pitch deck was literally <laughs> at the like, we only, like Coinbase has thousands of engineers. We only need four. <laughs> right. And then later they were like, you know, oh, we have 30 engineers. And everyone still was like, you have 30 and Coinbase has like 4,000? Like this doesn't compute. But they were running a lean ship. And I actually think that it was possible in that structure for Sam and a small group of his lieutenants to actually deceive the rest of the employees or the engineers. Like, I, I actually don't think it's that hard to, especially now that the information broke about how Nishad coded this Korean whale account, for one or two people just to like, with probably a few lines of code difference, just say, oh, Korean whale can't get liquidated. Right. And then like when someone asks, they're like internally, you know, when they run the query and the analytics, it's like, how come this account is so different? You know, Sam or whoever would be like, oh, that's a Korean whale. We just treat them extra well because they have eight billion dollars on our exchange, you know. Yeah, yeah. So like if there's some VVIP account, right? Like it's like, okay, well, that only goes through the key lieutenants. Uh, you know, normal computer, you know, normal customer service doesn't touch those accounts. I think it's pretty easy to imagine. I kind of can buy it. I just feel like there's so many ways you could slip that up and like make mistakes in a code base. It just feels like too perfect. Like I feel like someone else. I mean, has- if they only have like 40 engineers, <laughs> you've been, you know, convinced by Sam's apology tour that like everyone's an idiot and they're all like so like <laughs> okay, okay, fair. Right. Like this is this is the apology tour getting to you. I think there's more co-conspirators because of this. Like I I that's more my my claim is like. I actually think there's probably more people who who have known for a while than just these are yeah these are evil masterminds and they're not idiots and they didn't make all of these like like oops I made a boo boo or like we somehow lost ten billion dollars it's like no they like specifically wrote code to hide ten billion dollars of losses like yeah I mean yeah, I think the the main thing that I keep wondering about is like first of all what was even the motivation and like. Because this appears to have really started so early on, like there wasn't even much of an attempt to create a legitimate exchange. And so, and then, but then on top of that, to like make yourself so public to be, you know, like hobnobbing with the lawmakers and to be on Capitol Hall all the time and to have these partnerships and, you know, sponsorships with like Tom Brady and Naomi Osaka and Giselle Punchin. I mean, this is like, you know, Larry David, the Super Bowl. It, it's just like so risky, like beyond even just a normal, it, there's something like kind of deranged about taking that level of risk to do that kind of a fraud, but then also be that public. Like you would think, you know, it was like, it's just like, um, you would just imagine that if someone's like really doing something bad, they're not going to try to call attention to themselves. You know, that's how that's or at least that's yeah. that's how I think the vast majority of people think, right? Well, I think it's the opposite. I mean, he was essentially one of history's greatest con men. And I'm using that in the traditional definition of a con man, in that his whole scheme ran on confidence that FTX was powerful and like worth like a lot of money and doing everything and having built a great business. That Alameda was an incredible trading firm. Like his whole like game was to inspire confidence in himself, Alameda, and FTX. And part of that is being as public as possible and like spinning as good of a yarn as possible 
Because that was part of the con. I guess what I'm saying is that, like, so many crypto exchange owners are extremely wealthy. So he didn't need to do all that. And that is so risky. And now he's most likely going to be in prison kind of on the order of, you know, somewhere around the rest of his life. So do you, do you, know, do you know what I'm saying? It's like the calculus is so odd. It's like you can kind of get in the ballpark by doing it legitimately. So why would you risk the other thing? It's going to lock you away forever. I think the linear wealth thing comes into play here, right? Like literally each time, <laughs> each time he had to double down on this, right? Like Alameda took a double size loss. You need to double the customer funds. What's the only way to get it? You got to spend a lot on marketing. Cause like at the end of the day, they had no real organic volume. Like most of the time people used FTX was like, it was some coin Binance didn't list cause they were slow. Or it was like you wanted a margin with some shitcoin that like every other exchange wouldn't let you post as collateral. <laughs> so it's like they, they had this like built-in adverse selection in the beginning and they were able to front run all those people, but there's only so much you can do. And if you have even bigger losses to cover, you need to get new fish. And how do you get new fish? You, you, you get Tom Brady to tell them they're like, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, okay. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. So take, take a step back. Take a step back. When we first started talking about the story, right? We were talking about this idea that like Sam had this like vast empire that he decided to gamble on for seemingly just like a crazy reason to try to save a market maker. Right. And now we're getting an increasingly crisp picture that that's a, not a good reading of what actually happened here. What actually happened here is that the whole thing from the very beginning was bullshit. And every step of the way, he was lying to people. He was lying to investors. He was lying to customers. He was lying to counterparties about the state of all of this, right? About his involvement in Alameda, about Alameda's position on the exchange, about, you know, their ability to, you know, go ahead of other uh, customers, their ability to get liquidated, treated as any other market, maker, all that stuff. It was all, it was all fraudulent. And so the one, I think, trying to frame this in terms of like a calculus of, okay, he was doing this in order to get that. It, it seems very clear from the beginning that if he was actually thinking lucidly about any of this, it was very clear eventually this was all going to hit a wall, right? Uh, he he stated um, publicly, so previously, I think on a previous show, we said that, or at least I said, I think at some point, that Alameda probably made billions last year. We learned they didn't make any, they didn't make billions last year. They made, um, I think uh, Sam said something like, in total, I believe he said somewhere they made, uh, between FTX and Alameda, they made a total of like $1.5 billion which means that Alameda made a billion dollars last year. I, I think Forbes reported that Alameda lost money. Yeah, I think John John Ray also reported that they had net lost money, like when the post-bankruptcy filing. Yeah. After the bankruptcy filing. Yeah, obviously after the bankruptcy No, filing, no, no, right? but, but you like, said last year they also lost money. Yeah. Yeah, I believe someone said they filed like a tax return showing like billions of dollars losses. How is that possible? Yeah. I, my old colleague at Forbes, Jeff, um, I'm just pulling up his article. I'll skim this while you guys talk, but I'm pretty mm. sure, yeah, they lost money last year as well. Uh, how, how could they have lost money last year? It was like yeah, I December know. was like pretty close to all-time highs. I, as far as I recall, I skimmed this article. Pretty sure it said it was 2020. Let me just keep going. Okay, that's that's fascinating. Anyway, okay, well, regardless, clearly like the story now with of Sam is getting completely reformulated as more and more facts are coming to light um, that... In fact, he, he was never very competent. This whole thing, um, this whole idea that like, wow, he did this like, I mean, the, the, Tarun, I'm kind of pushing back on you. This whole idea that like, oh, Sam like did this effective altruist calculus to like bet this thing to win this thing. It seems like actually the better reading is that Sam was just a fucking psycho and that there was no way that any of this was going to eventually work, right? He was just getting deeper and deeper into a hole of lies that 
eventually he was going to that was going to spit him out one way or another at zero some interest rate phenomenon where you could keep doubling and hope hope to get more cash coming, <laughs> right? like at the end of the day and like wait did inflation kill SBF? Are you saying that <laughs> really we can trace this all the way back Jay to inflation leading to higher interest rates, leading to the collapse of FTX? It was Biden. It was Biden in the end. Wait, wait, wait. Can we, can we, can we, since we're on the, the conspiratorial bent, I think I want to start indulging some of the conspiracy theories right now. Yeah, Go let's do it. it. Yeah. Uh, which are, um, who do you think the cooperating witnesses are in this trial? Because like, there's no way they, they pull this off so fast. Oh yeah, yeah. Of So like, everyone's on the Caroline. in Caroline. But you, I, I'm wondering if Trabuco, who is, uh, you know, he's he, he, I could imagine he's actually secretly. Uh, but why would Trabuco cooperate? Like he's not anywhere near the epicenter. I mean, he might just for so, the so, so, so the letter, the like, hey, maybe we should shut down Alameda Research. Notice that happened like a few weeks after Trabuco left, or, and, and probably that they're very closely timed together. I think he probably knows a lot more about skeletons in the closet that other people might not. And if I were the government, I would definitely try to go get him this thing because, you know. But I mean, Trabuco, I mean, look, fair enough. But Trabuco was not pictured as being in the inner circle, right? He was a traitor. And from the perspective of Alameda. He probably caused all the losses, though. (laughs) Maybe, right? But that's not illegal. Yeah, but that's not illegal. No, 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 no. So so he knew that there was some racket going on to to cover those, right? Like, I I feel like. Sure, but. Yeah, as far as I understand, Trabuco didn't have uh, ownership in FTX. He wasn't one of the core team. He was a trader. He was, uh, you know, at Alameda from the beginning, and he kept, you know, there's nothing illegal with making bad trades, even if it's with someone else's money. Now, if he knew that, you know, this money was illegally being funneled from FTX, but I, I think in principle, like FTX making a giant loan, I, I, I doubt Sam was like, hey, Trabuco, these are customer funds. Please treat them carefully. I think, I think though, if you're trying to pin this idea that's, you know, Sam's been trying to be like, oh, like I was not involved with Alameda whatsoever. Trabuco can be extremely valuable there to basically say, actually, no, he was really still the CEO, basically, even though he's like claiming he didn't know anything. And like, I think that's actually going to be extremely valuable for for the this case, like proving that he actually. For sure. Right. Yeah. So wait, before we keep going with the conspiracy theories, let's go back to, uh, you know, how much money Alameda lost. And I, so I was pulled up the wrong article, but now I found found it. So the entity's 2021 tax returns collectively showed a net operating loss carryover of $3.7 billion. And th- so this is from um, something filed in the Delaware District Court, which is where the bankruptcy is happening. And it said... That means SPF's businesses, which primarily consist of Alameda and FTX, had posted a net loss of $3.7 billion since their inception. Since their inception? They didn't even have that much to lose. How can you lose that much since inception? If it's since inception, they never raised $3.7 billion. They raised a lot of money, but they didn't raise $3.7 billion. It meant that fundamentally they lost money that didn't belong to them. Oh, no, this math doesn't make sense. This must be like they acquired things that had tax losses that they were then able to carry. There's no way they acquired anything with billions of dollars of like tax loss carry forward. Just look at their, look at their balance sheet, right? They had FTT, they had SRM, they had Seoul, they had all this stuff. How could they have lost that much money? They were marking everything to market. So like there is some weird fudgy thing that could be going on here where like it really, they're marking things that they claim they lost a billion on which were marked incorrectly to whatever. But if you have an asset, let's call it, let's call it FTT. 
or serum or maps or any of these things. If your starting cost basis is zero and then it goes up to be worth $5 billion and then goes down to be worth $2 billion, right? I don't think you have like a cumulative loss of $3 billion. Yeah, you can't have a cumulative loss. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that doesn't make yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's fair. That's fair. And they made up all this shit, right? It has to, no, it has to be acquired. Like if you just look at their, their June 30th balance sheet, right? There's enough on there to show that clearly they had a bunch of stuff last year. They only acquired Ren as far as like they had like two or three other like aqua hire acquisitions in, in 2020, 2020. Well, okay. Either way, look, I don't think we'll be able to get to the bottom of the accounting on a podcast. Actually, let me just read the last bit on this um, the, or the meat of the article. It says the leading theories on why Alameda lost so much range from big bets gone wrong to having god awful accounting records. Those theories might explain why Alameda lost money in 2022 when crypto was crashing, but its losses through 2021 remain a big mystery. From an accounting perspective, it's unclear whether they were realized or whether they represent a snapshot of his businesses and their asset values at that point in time, says Steve Rosenthal, a tax lawyer and senior fellow at the Urban Brookings Tax Policy Center. Then it says, if Bankman Freed was using a mark-to-market approach to accounting, then it would represent paper losses at that point in time, which would still be stunning. Yeah, how could you have had that loss when like you're at all time high like market? It doesn't like, make what, sense. What it doesn't make sense. I don't. I don't believe these numbers. They don't make sense. They don't pass smell tests. No, but but it's the tax. It's the tax return. So. so I mean, there there might be other things in there that are explaining that, like them acquiring some tax losses. Yeah, so, I wouldn't be crazy surprised if SBF lied. Not just on those tax returns, but in many other places. Yeah, sure, sure. sure. Yeah, that I, I agree. I, I, it feels like there's something else happening. There's something else happening. I don't think it's that simple. Someone on YouTube has one of the best comments. Unfortunately, we don't have Tom here. Otherwise, you could highlight it. But it was QuickBook license cost three point seven billion dollars. So <laughs> one of the other one of the other news items of the week was that it turned out they did all their accounting in QuickBooks, which notoriously doesn't support any like crypto or even like mildly advanced <laughs> equities accounting. So, you know, may, maybe that's the source of their. In fact, this QuickBooks thing, actually, by the way, uh, a, a tiny aside, I'd actually talked to some like people who worked at endowments and they were like the way that funds invest in FTX might actually be liable to LPs who could sue them is that this QuickBooks and Excel thing suggests that like they didn't even ask for like real accounting statements and uh, like people could actually go after some of the investors for for like as a fiduciary not even checking this so wait wait, wait. but but what they kept for their own internal books versus what they were given as financial uh, audited financial statements like the, i don't think i don't think they like the investors would have gotten the audited financials from that shitty accounting firm um even if they were doing their own internal books with quickbooks like the auditors need independent verification but you should also be checking how what software and control mechanism they have for how they keep their own books before they send to an auditor that's a, that's a form of liability of like a fiduciary should be checking that. So there were some interesting there were some interesting claims from people who are LPs that like there are there's like rooms for room for more lawsuits from some of these things that keep coming out. Yeah, but this goes back to my earlier comment about how um, just the more details that come out, the more I'm like, whoa, this is like a scam, like right from the very beginning. And then this goes to that thing about how he loved to get people to invest by having that spreadsheet where. Like the earlier, the first, you know, it's um, it's just like a race to the bottom kind of situation where, or he's creating it where it's like the earlier the, that you are, the cheaper your um, terms and all that. And like, you know, people are just like, oh, he loved, loved, loved this way of fundraising. And then that just, 
is a way of being like, don't do your due diligence, just get in right now, you know? And for anybody who actually took the time to like make sure that everything was on the up and up, they would be punished by having bad terms. So, you know, it's like all those things. It's like, you know, Alex Pack talked about it. Um, I, I think it was on my show or I, I don't remember where anyway, sorry, um, that he, you know, was he, that's one of the reasons that ultimately he didn't invest. It was just like this weird, you know, situation where he could feel that anytime he was trying to do his job, he was getting this pushback. So anyway, so yeah, just um, every time I'm learning more and more about all this, I'm just like, whoa, like. There was tons of stuff also, though, historically you could have found. I mean, Hasib's partner at Dragonfly is the other person mentioned in Alex's story who was like, also just like, I had all this kind of like, they both got different like accounting stories and like, oh, like we're spending all this money on like this type of trade, but then it's actually funding the exchange being built and stuff like that. So, yeah. Sam, Sam very clearly thought VCs were idiots. And to be fair, like maybe he was right. <laughs> the VCs who invested in Sam he definitely was right. Kind of like <laughs> idiots. But he had, he had just a tremendous disdain for the entire VC process. And then you can also see it from the way that he ran FTX Ventures is that he thought VC was super easy. And you just like, you know, fire up your guns and you start shooting in the direction of things that look interesting. Um, and as a result, they have this ridiculous web of investments of just random stuff they have no idea about anything like their diligence, the, FD, the FTX Ventures diligence is some of the most ridiculous diligence I had ever seen, and so I think it carried all the way through. When you're using stolen money to make venture investments, <laughs> you have a very different attitude than when you have a fiduciary duty to people that you've raised money from. Yeah, that you're generating well, returns from. If it's stolen customer money, like yeah, you're going to be like shooting it everywhere. Well, even forget about even the venture investment. And, and, you know, I love, I, I take any t- chance I can on the show to, to, to take a pot shot at EA. <laughs> We're going back at Anthropic? Okay, go for it. No, go no, no, it. no, no, no. Back at the uh, FTX Future Fund, there was a Forbes article uh-uh. uh, about how the FTX Future Fund was also just trying to spray money at people, like people who didn't even apply for a grant. It's supposed to be a nonprofit grant that's supposed to give, like McCaskill's supposed to like have some thesis of like why they're investing in some particular thing. They literally just sent people money who didn't even want it. And people sent the money back, and like they 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 like basically kept sending them money. And if you read this article, it's it's unreal. Basically, the FTX Future Fund was like, how do we ship, sell, give out money as fast as possible? And it's like, wait, this is supposed to be a nonprofit like vetting these organizations because they're effective. And it's like, if you want something that like is the biggest egg on McCaskill's face, it should be this. Like that is just embarrassing for anyone for that entire ideology that you did that. Ineffective altruism, Ineffective not data driven. <laughs> well, I guess nice. that's the one other thing that's so confusing to me, and maybe it shouldn't be. Maybe um, the effective altruism thing was just a front as well. But you know, if his goal really was to make a lot to give it away, then again, you would have expected he'd actually like literally try to make the money rather than just take it, because it really almost feels like it was more of an, a campaign just to like burnish his image, because. You know, when you read this whole thing about it's the sports sponsorships and the political donations and, you know, and then like the the supposed like philanthropic things are, yeah, like really bizarre, weird, not um, impactful things like the anthropic thing or, you know what? I, so it's just like, I, I, I just don't understand. Like it, the more that I'm kind of looking into it, the more I'm just like, what was the point of doing this? Like you're risking all this stuff for what exactly? Like. Like if he was actually doing something like buying, you know, a gazillion, uh, what are those, uh, malaria bed nets? Like, 
okay, then kind of maybe, but how many bed, how many mosquito nets do you buy with a Tom Brady sponsorship? I see a lot. I could, <laughs> yeah, I could yeah, you could like probably eradicate malaria with that. Yeah, easy. you know, yeah. So that's why you <laughs> can actually house at least fifty houseless FTX engineers in the Bahamas. <laughs> right, exactly. <Any> homelessness. <laughs> I, exactly the the fifty houseless uh, FTX engineers. So so, but but I just this is why like psychologically, I'm just like, what was in his brain? Like that is so confusing to me because I, I just any other person like if you if you were so let's say that we were all at like some party and we were drunk or something and one of us was like, oh you guys like I have this idea for how to you know kind of just um, swindle people or whatever. And you you spun up some idea of like what Sam actually did. Like everybody would would be like, you would be found out so fast, you will end up in prison for the rest of your life. It's not worth it. Like, do you know what I'm saying? And so that's why I'm just like, how did he think this was a good idea? Well, here he, here's my read on this: is that he thought he was going to get away with it first and foremost. Because I think everyone who's caught in this web of lies and digs deeper and deeper and deeper thinks that if they just lie a little bit more and steal a little bit more, eventually they'll make it all back. And everyone yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like, how did he think he was going to get away with losing $8 billion of money? That's, it's just weird to me. If you're betting bigger and you keep on doubling the size of your debts, you just that's need right. one of them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I mean, Bernie Madoff. It was ultimately a martingale. Between Trabuco's tweets and Sam's tweets about betting bigger all the time, I mean, they did tell you what they were doing. Yeah. It's true. It's true. And look, like the... The, uh, implicitly, right? Like if the, if if FTX was a levered long exchange, which is like why the hell is an exchange levered in any direction? But if FTX is a levered long exchange, that means that if prices went up, they would have been in the they would have been declared, the they would have been solvent again. And so that's I mean it was the same thing that Three Arrows was doing at the end of the day, which is that they were levered long, and if prices went in the right direction, they would have been okay. Wait, are you serious? But like they don't they don't they still don't fundamentally yeah, have. Wait, okay, but wait. This only makes sense if you can like somehow double the number of units that you have, because the life, like what you owe your customers is also going to go up at the same time. Like, so let's say that I put no, no, two no, BTC on the exchange and then put it into Solana and SRM and, F and all the shit that they were buoying in the markets, right? They were buying all these SAM coins. And so the SAM coins had to go up. Right. But the amount that they owe customers also goes up in dollar terms because like, well, a lot of the liabilities were in dollars, right? A lot of a lot of people just no, had dollars. Some the, people had Bitcoin. The liabilities were in like Bitcoin and Ether and whatever. They're not in dollars. But the eight billion dollars that was wired to Alameda's bank accounts in order to deposit money on FTX, there's a very clear eight billion dollars there, right? Yeah. Right. But those people, when they wire the money, it's to buy, you know, whatever. They're not like literally just like I'm going to park but the my Bitcoin dollars. Has and yeah, yeah. So from the beginning, from the beginning, right, the, the assets that ended up on Alameda's balance sheet were dollars. And those dollars were supposed to be uh, basically, you can think of it as Alameda owed $8 billion to FTX, not 8 billion Bitcoin, not 8 billion Ether. If there was Bitcoin or Ether that ended up on FTX, it had to come from somewhere else. Right. No, but what I'm saying is that um, for, so you're saying that you think that Sam probably thought he could make it back and, and give customers their money. But what I'm saying I mean, is I don't know when, if you actually when a, thought about it, but okay, that, right, but I'm that was saying, right. But I'm saying so when a customer sends in money, the reason they're doing so is to buy, like, let's say a Bitcoin. So then they are owed a Bitcoin. So if they buy a Bitcoin when it's ten thousand dollars and then Bitcoin goes to twenty thousand dollars, then they're going to be owed still a single Bitcoin, but it will be worth more in dollars, right? 
So that's why, like you're saying, oh, the prices just need to go. No, 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 because then you still owe the the the, the like the liabilities in dollars also increases. I understand the point that you're making, um, yeah. which is that yes, the total value of all the assets goes up, and the total value of all the liabilities yeah, go up. Exactly. Um, but the assets and liabilities that were on Alameda's balance sheet, as far as we understand right now, were dollar denominated. They were not crypto denominated, as far as I know. Um, and if in fact they were dollar denominated, then that means that the assets and the liabilities that FTX had were probably more of the crypto and the 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 more of the cash was with Alameda. Right. So that meant that the cash was not going up and down in terms of its value. That was on the FTX side. But they were exactly. giving so much of that cash to Alameda that FTX was ultimately in the hole. So that means Alameda is, um, you know, they are short dollars. They're not short crypto. Right. But FTX is short crypto. <laughs> And yes. so when you keep yeah. saying that the, if the value of the crypto goes up, then they can pay the customers. I'm saying, no, 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 because the liabilities of FTX also go up because if the prices of crypto are going up, then what FTX owes its customers also goes up. So you can't, it doesn't make, you still can't do it that way. Correct. FTX, the exchange likely had liabilities to its customers in Bitcoin. There was literally no, when all was said and done and we peeled back the thing, there was no Ether, there was no Bitcoin left at FTX. And all the people thought they had balances of Bitcoin and Ether right? FTX, the exchange was short crypto to its customers. Alameda was short dollars to FTX and used those dollars to buy stupid coins like FTT and SRM and maps and oxygen and all this stuff and make venture bets that were extremely illiquid, right? Alameda was levered long on weird stuff. FTX was short on good stuff. And in a bull market, I don't know which one would win. <laughs> well, definitely the good stuff, not not the shit coins. You never know. It depends you know. on the bull market, right? In the yeah. last bull market, it was the it was the weird stuff that outperformed the good stuff, like Doge and shit and was, stuff. Yeah, well, but also <laughs> SRM and you know, Sol yeah, Solana and, and, and Avalanche. Yeah, what, what, all the I same mean, coins were were pumping last year because mm-hmm. he was converting the customer's Bitcoin into. The coins he liked, fundamentals. Yeah. So right. then, the only right. way that it could have worked would have been if they, ha- if their shitcoin strategy had actually worked. But then also, they would have had to sell at the top in dollars, but then also buy Bitcoin and the other good coins that were also then at that point at an all time high, and still somehow make enough to send back to that. Like that's so convoluted. You have to do three things correctly. Like. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's, that's really, really, <laughs> yes. really hard. This is why it didn't work. This is why Sam's in a Bahama prison. <laughs> that's right. It didn't work. You are absolutely correct. You nailed it, Laura. This is why we should put you in charge of the next big exchange. Uh, <laughs> I think you probably wouldn't make the same mistake. But so hold on. I want to, I want to go back a little bit because we skipped one of the pieces of the story, which was, um, uh, Tarun alluded to. So, okay. First things first. Um, so Sam was arrested in the Bahamas. He was then, uh, arraigned, uh, brought in front of a judge and he asked for bail because he didn't want to hang out in a Bahamian jail while he was awaiting extradition. And potentially he, he signaled that he wanted to fight extradition. He didn't want to be extradited to the U.S. So you know, he's lived in the Bahamas for the last two years, presumably. So the, the judge was not very excited about the idea of him uh, getting bail. Uh, he offered to pay $250,000, which supposedly was more than his net worth. He's claimed that he only has 100000 to his name, but <laughs> somehow two fifty k bail is no big deal. Has anybody done a search, uh, you know, for hardware wallets? I'm a little bit like, you know, can they search his premises for that? They must be able to. For but sure. anyway. Of course, at this point, they can. Well, yeah, look, he had billions should. of dollars in rescue money coming in. I'm sure somebody, you know, <laughs> a billion dollars mysteriously went missing, like, in the middle of the night. 
you know, when they declared bankruptcy. Like, where is Gary? That's yeah, the real there's in aggregate like ten plus billion dollars of stuff missing everywhere. Like, I'm pretty sure Sam has more than a hundred thousand dollars. Right. Yeah. Sam didn't own a single Bitcoin to his name. Like, come on. Also, it is crazy that like they 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 itch, issued so much SOBTC. And it was like completely unbacked. They had no Bitcoin. Wait, what's, S- what's SOBTC? SOBTC was like a Solana wrapped Bitcoin that was issued by, by FTX. And they like had, so like these Bitcoin whales would send Bitcoin there and then get SOBTC and then go like take their SOBTC and use it in DeFi and Solana, right? Right. That, that last part, the Bitcoin didn't exist <laughs> at the end. That was like wild to me that like that basically they somehow had like completely run out of bitcoin wait 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 where do you say so people wrap their their bitcoin for the solana thing but then actually there was no bitcoin that was being wrapped that somehow by, by the end by the end ftx had somehow they sent their bitcoin to ftx ftx wrapped it kept it on the exchange as like a special account for the wrapped bitcoin it's kind of like what coinless does with wbtc right except it was ftx instead of coinless uh, or no so it's bitco right they just took, it, it was like with all the other bankruptcy assets. They, they had no Bitcoin when they went bankrupt. In fact, I, I actually have this, this slight theory that of the $6 billion of withdrawals, Bitcoiners were probably the most paranoid because they've like lived through the most exchange <laughs> failures. Oh. So they were withdrawing the first. And so they had so much BTC that day that they basically had none. Mm. And then they couldn't do any of the Solana withdrawals. And the Solana, the, the Solana token then lost its peg. Oh, wow. Yeah, I actually, now that I think I did know that, I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Okay, so rewinding a bit, Sam, uh, trying to trying to make bail, uh, no dice. Uh, and so Sam is now in a jail in the Bahamas known as Fox Hill, which apparently is one of the worst jails in the world. Uh, it's, 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 supposed, it's like rat infested with maggots. It's got horrible treatment. Um, apparently your toilet is a bucket. Um, it's a really terrible place where he is uh, being held right now, um, basically awaiting extradition to the U.S. And uh, supposedly, from what I've been reading, a lot of people think that he's going to stop fighting extradition if he can't make bail. Because if he can't make bail, it's a lot better to be in American jail than to be in a Bahamian jail. No, he wasn't even granted bail. He wasn't granted bail. Lars correct. He wasn't granted bail. He yeah, was he wasn't. Bail. But he's trying to stay to fight this extradition thing. And Right, right, right. Yes, extradition. Right. So there have been cases where extradition court battles have taken up to seven years out of the Bahamas. If he, for whatever reason, was able to stomach life in Fox Hill, which by the way, like I think Sam is the greatest con artist of like all time. Like he's horrible. Like I still don't think any human being should like live in those conditions, even temporarily. Like it's horrific, like unhumanitarian conditions. Like I don't wish upon anyone, even though I wish hell for Sam. Like if he can stomach that environment, like he could probably fight this for years. Um, just from that like, cursory research into like Bahamian like extradition law, like there have been cases where it took seven years for them to extradite people on like simple stuff. Like if you keep on appealing it and going through like the British court system and like all this stuff, it's like so he could stay there almost indefinitely. Wow, yeah, I, I don't see any world where he'd want to. Yeah, like um, it's horrible conditions. Yeah, yeah. This is kind of a this is, this is sort of a very weird aside, but uh, though after after Sam um, after all this stuff with FTX went down, like I I tried to message Sam to see if I could convince him to come on the show. He was not interested because it's because we're not a Twitter space. 
<laughs> Clearly, yeah. He's been on like 20, the most random Twitter spaces, but he doesn't <laughs> yeah, want to call it's on the show. Yeah, because it's not a random no-name Twitter space, but anyway. <laughs> Clearly. Um, and so, uh, so anyway, it doesn't matter. I don't message a lot of people on Facebook Messenger. And so the few people who I do message, I, I message him on Facebook, he would like show up all the time. I could always see when he was online on Facebook, which is very weird because he was like doing this apology tour and he's like one of the few people who are showing up at the top of my thing. And then yesterday I was like, I didn't, I didn't see him all day. Cause I usually see, cause he's online a lot. Um, I didn't see him yesterday. And then I read that he's in, he's in jail. And I'm like, okay, I guess he probably doesn't have access to Facebook. I think I, I think his, uh, I've, I've heard, I've heard his Facebook is filled with posts of people being like, you, you robbed me. <laughs> uh, which oh, is like man. funny just cause it's like, it's like, his, even his friends are going and posting like, you know, right. So right. this is like funny that you just happen to mention his Facebook account because I can't remember where I heard this, but it must have been some interview he did or something. I don't know. And somebody must have asked him something like, you know, what's something that you, you know, like don't wish you did all the time. Or I, I don't remember what the question was. All I remember is that he said that he finds himself scrolling through Facebook all, all like all the time, like all, a lot, sort of like, you know, compulsively. And then I was like, so just like, Facebook, like you are, you are not a crypto person if you are scrolling through Facebook. All I was just so confused by that. I was like, Facebook, like what crypto person is like constantly scrolling Facebook? It was so, so weird. I remember I had this call with him in 2020. I think it was like right after comp farming launched. It was like July 2020. And he was like calling me to be like, asking me what layer ones, some question, technical questions about layer ones. And I guess like I was the only person he knew to ask or something. And I remember he was like telling me all the reasons he loves Solana. And I was like, but like, here are all these other problems. Like the BFT might not work. You might have these liveness issues, like blah, 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 blah. Right. And he was just like unable to understand any of these concerns that like crypto people have about like what a blockchain is. And I, I was like, oh, I see. Like, you literally are just like going to everyone and you're like, what's the block time? Okay, next. What's the block time? Okay, next. Like, you didn't even like care about any of the like safety conditions, like how the wallet interactions work, like any of that stuff. And this is not a knock on Solana, right? Like the team has in a lot of admirable ways, like somehow patched it together to, to not totally fall over. But it was just like kind of funny that the like savior of this thing doesn't even understand why anyone would use a blockchain. He was just like, he was just like, how can I make this thing less and less and less and less and less like a blockchain? And like, that's all he wanted. It's funny because I had a similar experience to Sam. Uh, I remember, um, you know, after that initial, uh, when, when, when uh, Dragonfly passed on the uh, uh, Sam seed round super early on. Well, you were, you were also, in, you were the Alex Pack story also. That was Dragonfly, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, Alex Pack was originally Dragonfly, but I wasn't there yet, right? So that was before I joined. That was before I joined. Um, and so, yeah, so Alex Pack and, and Bo passed on Sam's seed round. Sam got really pissed. And Sam basically was like, I'm never going to work with Dragonfly again. Uh, and he refused to invest, co-invest into any rounds that Dragonfly was in. And I, I didn't know that at the time. And I didn't know Sam very well. You know, I sort of knew of him, but I, I'd never really spoken to him at any length, except the first time I met him, which was years before he even got into crypto. Um, and so um, I remember I, I reached out to Sam because I was like, hey, I heard that you like are really mad at us. And I don't really know why. Look, I wasn't there. Um, like, let's talk. Let's, I just kind of want to understand more about what you're doing because you're obviously building something really big. And so we got, we got talking and, uh, he, I remember we were chatting about DeFi and we were just like exchanging trading notes on like, what, what things we like in DeFi. 
And uh, I was like, oh yeah, you know, MakerDAO is great. Like really excited about MakerDAO. We invested in MakerDAO. And she fucking hated MakerDAO. And I was like, what's wrong with Maker? MakerDAO? is so great. How could you hate MakerDAO? And he's like, it's just so inefficient, right? Like it's so, the collateral ratio is so high. It doesn't make any sense. Why would you waste all this capital? And he was just so anti-Maker. It was like very surprising to me. I like, I, very few people in crypto, like there are a lot of things that people don't like. Almost everybody likes Maker, you know, like even if you have your issues with it. By the way, I, I owe the Maker folks, including Rune, a correction for something I said last time, which was the 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 the, the insolvencies they, they had were completely not related to Gemini, and it just happened to there was some GUSD. There's it's like completely it's completely safe. There's that was that was me fa- falling for FUD and not understanding. And I talked to Rune about it. I told him I would uh, give an on air. Oh, there you uh, go. Correction. Good correction. Good correction. Yeah. And and since you brought it maker, I was like, great time. <laughs> okay, great time. Great time. Okay. So anyway, all right. Uh, we, we we have a, a little bit more news to get through because um, it has been kind of a crazy... Wait, do we talk about the... Should we talk about the block? The, the block? Should we talk, no. <laughs> we have to talk about the block? One more example of SBF being evil. Okay. So, all right. TLDR, the block secretly got a financing where uh, SBF basically gave a, a massive loan to the block. Um, and that, that loan both financed the block itself, as well as uh, real estate for the former uh, CEO of the block. Uh, the loan was, was not discovered. to the block. The loan was to... It was to him personally. To McCaffrey directly, yeah. yeah. The loan was to Mike, who did basically a private equity buyout of the block from its former team and owners using SPF's money to personally own the entire, the block, which is like, which was hidden from all of the team members at the block. It was hidden from the people that he was buying it from. And it was hidden from the public, right? It was SBF taking what was most likely customer money to buy out a media publication in the space. Right, right. Which he then did like a bunch of those after, right? Like, but it was like kind of that was the first. Yeah, he did it more explicitly. Yeah, he did it more explicitly. I knew Mike quite well, and I, I actually had gotten drinks with him right around the time they he did that, and it was like some like, hey, we'll celebrate the block going private, and like I was like, well, where are you actually? Does the block make enough money for this to happen? I, but I, I was just like, I, I don't really get how this is working out, but like apparently the block made decent money. Um, they they said it was something like. 30 million last year or something like right. that? Right. So, 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 so like, Wait, I've is seen... that just revenue or that must be just revenue, not profit, right? Because they, they have a ton revenue, of people. Yeah, they have like a hundred something people. And like, I, I, I just was like, I tried to do the mental math in my head. I was like, I don't really see where this is coming from, but like, all right, congratulations. I guess you've sold a lot of enterprise subscriptions. Uh, and so, like, I kind of was always a little bit like, oh, there's some, something is a little fishy. And he kept going to the Bahamas all the time. I was like, <laughs> Why are you going to Bahamas so much? And then it turned out he got this like other loan to get a, a apartment in the Bahamas, uh, which was also right. I guess hidden from right. everyone's block. Uh, but you know, I I, I do believe Frank uh, and Larry that they like had absolutely no idea, and like I definitely you know support them in whatever endeavor they do next because I I really feel like I feel like they just seem to have like gotten sucker punched and I, I feel bad about that for them because they're some of the best you know journalists i think in, in this space 
Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, from my perspective, so I, Laura, I'm curious to get your take as a journalist, but uh, I'll say from my perspective, as just like a passive observer of all this, no dog in the fight whatsoever, um, the, it, it felt, um, okay, clearly this Mike McCaffrey guy, I don't know him, I've never met him, um, seems like he was a dick and he did something he shouldn't have and then he stepped down and... He, he, was, he, wasn't, he wasn't a dick, I, I will say. He, it's just that, you know, I, he got greedy. Okay. Apparently he wasn't a dick, I don't know. Uh, but what he did was a dick move. And ultimately, the people who are at the block who do all the work, you know, the, for, from my perspective, like their work speaks for itself, right? Like some basically the best coverage in the industry on, on a lot of subjects, uh, including on SBF and including on FTX and this whole collapse. Like very often where the first place I go to try to read the best take on what's going on is the block. And so I don't think it, in any way did any of this seem to seep into their coverage of anything. Uh, the, the thing that uh, I guess I found a little too much about this story was that I think the block played it very well in everybody who was at the block just openly gnashing their teeth and cursing the skies and saying, oh my God, I can't believe this happened as a way of like, kind of sort of like, look, we're, we, we really believe in journalistic integrity. And it's like, I know you guys, like, look, I'm still going to read the block. Like, I don't really care who got a loan from where, like it's good content. I, I, I'm not a journalist, so it doesn't hit as deep for me that, okay, the CEO financed this secretly from some guy. It's like, okay, fine. Yeah, but Hasib, I don't know if you saw, like, there were a lot of tweets that then became immediately suspicious of them and were attacking them. And so, like, this is just a huge betrayal that Mike did on the journalists because, you know, when you are when you have this kind of, you know, referee role, you're trying to be the neutral observer report, whatever the facts, like, just anything that either you reveal or someone reveals about you that like allows people to attack you in any way that that's not helpful for your job. Right. So to have like the CEO of your company completely undermine your ability to do your work in secret behind your back, that's like a total betrayal. So like, I don't know if you thought their tweets were like performative or something, but like, I'm sure they weren't. I'm sure they felt like no, I believe that they were feeling very, you know, very betrayed by the CEO. And so, like, them ousting the CEO, the CEO fell on his sword, he left, he's gone now, they're going to figure out how to recap the company. Great. And to me, I'm like, okay. Yeah, but so I, I, it's great that for you, you recognize that, yeah, there wasn't any malfeasance on their part. But like I said, if you looked at the replies and the t- tweets and stuff, like, a lot of people started attacking them. You know, like, That's oh, true. back in the day, you, you know, reported blah, 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 and you didn't say da, 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 and... I mean, you know, that's exactly what Mike set them up for. And, um, you know, they didn't sign up for that. And it wasn't, it had nothing to do with them. He did this on his own. So that's why they were so upset and why it's such a betrayal. And frankly, why I felt absolutely terrible for them. And just, you know, I I, I really actually think it's like a really, really bad thing that happened. And, and it's going to be something that will probably dog them for a little while, just because like, you know, whatever. There are certain people um, speaking of conspiracy theories, by the way, I just want to address <laughs> that, you know, before SPF's arrest, like so many of the conspiracy theorists were like, oh, because he made so many political donations, he's not going to pay at all. He'll never be arrested. He's just going to keep going on living in the Bahamas, whatever. And I was like, wait, like, do you guys know what's what he just did? And like, you know, I kind of was like, if anything, the fact that he kind of like made all these people look bad is going to, is going to mean that it's going to be much worse for him. Um, but there were so many conspiracy theories I saw like that. And I was just like, you either don't know how this works or you don't understand how bad it is what he did, or, or you don't understand how like people that have like egg on their face because this guy, you know, what, you know, what, like basically, um, cozied up to them and then, but was perpetrating this, uh, fraud, like 
you don't understand that like this is actually going to make it way worse for him and like he is going to end up in the slammer no matter what. So anyway, I just need to call out that those conspiracy theorists were super wrong, which I knew from the start. And I just thought it was even weird that they could entertain the idea that he would not pay for any of this. Yeah, 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 for sure. I, I just think it's like I, if I were in their shoes, I would just try to like make a new company and like. Wait, their their <laughs> shoes? Who's no, they? dude, they, the, the block has so much brand value. Why would you make a new company? No, 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 no. You can keep. You, you know, I, I feel like they the the, the people are still there. A new corporate have a, like hostile takeover, like type of because like it would kind of suck to have to work there and like you know you're stuck in this. Situation. I think this will blow over. I think this will blow over. No, I no, no. I, I, I saw that they tweeted something like they're trying to buy the block from Mike, or, or so there. It's like going to be. I, I forget. It was something like like that. They're coming together in some way to try to to take ownership. Yeah, there's so, some syndicate or something that they're yeah. going to form. Yeah, and I mean, it'd be great if it happens. The block down. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of CZ, speaking of CZ. Okay, okay. We we should we should cover this before we wrap the show. Um, so speaking of conspiracy theories. Um, so we've we've learned fairly recently that um, it was reported, I think by uh, was it by Reuters or was it by Wall Street Journal, that um, the uh, that the DOJ is contemplating bringing charges against Binance. And so Reuters. we know that there was a DOJ investigation into Binance. Reuters, thank you. Uh, we know that there was a DOJ investigation into Binance for quite a while. It's been going on for years, and apparently they've collected enough evidence to be able to bring charges. Um, but there's a debate internally within the DOJ whether it's wise to bring charges at this time or whether it makes more sense to sit on the case or to try to settle and just have them pay a fine or something like that instead of trying to do this big kind of dog and pony show, given how much damage has been going on in the industry lately. I thought that it was that half the team thought they have enough, had enough evidence and half the team thought they didn't have enough evidence. Wasn't that it? I think it was particularly around concerns around uh, like just damaging the industry unnecessarily around these charges, right? So the yeah, question is like, one, to me. how blockbuster see- are these charges? I don't think the DOJ cares about damage. Yeah, they don't care. Enough. No, I, I, Laura's correct. When I read the article, and I don't know who leaked this or why or, you know, whatever, but when I read it, it was something along the lines of internally they're split on whether or not they have a case. I'm sure someone sympathetic to CZ probably leaked that. I, I actually think um, one thing that's funny is like, why are all these leaks happening like in the last month? I feel like is is it just me or does it feel like there's just been like a, a insane torrent of leaks since like November? Like it's just well, been it's like because non-stop. of FTX. Well, no, no, no. But even even leading into that, I feel like there were starting to be a lot more rumors and 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 like then it just like cascaded. But like, I mean, it's. Yeah, this whole year, I mean, it's starting even at, like, the Supreme Court, you know, Roe v. Wade League. I mean, like, yesterday there was the CPI print, which was a major event, which got leaked early and people were trading on it. Like, I feel like the U.S. government's control over information is becoming fragile and cracking. And there's more and more leaks coming from different branches of government than there have in the past. That is the hottest take this show has ever had. That's a very large-scale take. <laughs> it, it is interesting though yeah i kind of i i don't remember like obviously like the problem is that you're you know you're not quantifying this perfectly when you and you could maybe go retroactively do it but there's this quality of feeling that like yeah the leak leaking rate just seems to be like growing a lot yeah from the judicial the executive and the legislative you know it's like there's leaks like coming from everywhere like it's it's sad and weird 
But one thing that I did want to talk about was how we were all like, why would DOJ care about doing something that would damage the crypto? And like, I, when I read that in the Reuters article, I was like, wait, like what? Like, is that what people in the DOJ are thinking about? Because that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know if the person got the facts wrong there or what, but I just was like, I don't think they're thinking about that. In fact, I feel quite certain they're not thinking about that. It's To my mind, it would be either like they think they have enough evidence or other people are like, no, 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 we we don't quite have a, a strong case to make. That would be, I, that's what I would guess. Yeah, sorry, I, I, I misread the article. It, it, what it says here is that among Binance's arguments, a criminal prosecution would wreak havoc on a crypto market already in prolonged downturn. The discussion included potential plea deals, according to three of the sources. Um, and at the very end of the article, it says, Binance has hired a former chief of MLARS uh, who engaged in dis- discussions with the Justice Department. Day met with justice officials in Washington in recent months, three of the people said. Officials discussed with Day a possible resolution to the case out of court, whereby subjects would potentially plead guilty or pay a fine, three sources said. Day did not comment. Can, um, can I say one thing that's kind of a funny comment I, I felt when I read this story, which is, you know, that's normally when people talk about, like, the revolving door in government and, like, people going to finance or going to, like, tech from government jobs, it's, like, always viewed as, like, this, like, negatively connotative thing. In the Binance case, the interesting thing is they've been advertising it as this, like, positive thing that they're, like, I, you know, that they're, like, taking advantage of the revolving door. And I think that's, like, a funny flip narrative-wise relative to, like, the normal one about the revolving door being... Like in their case, they're like, look, revolving door means that we're more legit, which is like. No, no, no. No, it's because the revolving door is bad for government because then it makes government look less neutral. For sure. and, right. But, but Binance's marketing of this, like, CZ tweets is like the opposite. <laughs> no, but that's because they're taking the legitimacy of the government and now pulling it toward Binance. So it's good for Binance to be like, hey, we have these people that were in the government for like 10 years, 15 years, whatever, like one of the top investigators for CSI at the IRS. Like, so it's good for them. So it's not a weird spin. It's like they want that. The articles, I mean, sorry, that like cover this don't write it that way. Right. Whereas like when they do, when they, when like someone like say an SEC commissioner goes to Goldman, they'll be like, oh, the revolving door of government like happening again. So I think that that's like a funny, funny thing that that this article. I think it's it's that the it, I think it's that journalists are surprised to see that happening in crypto. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's newsworthy oh. that that is also happening in crypto. It's like, oh wow, crypto is kind of like any other kind of weird financial industry. Um, it's a sign that we're growing up a bit. Uh, but so because I think in 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 one part accelerated by this uh, leak from uh, the the uh, the DOJ contemplating bringing these charges against Binance, but also from Binance's kind of bullshit proof of reserves where they you know, sort of didn't do a very convincing job of uh, showing their liabilities beyond just you know, some, some nebulous amount of Bitcoin that they show that they have assets against. Um, there've been, and the fact that they represented their proof of reserves uh, as being an audit, which of course is no such thing because Binance has an enormous number of assets and liabilities outside of just Bitcoin, but that's all that they actually uh, produced. It's caused a lot of FUD around Binance, people believing that perhaps Binance is insolvent. And then that, that was exacerbated by, um, one, there being some delays in withdrawals of USDC on Binance. Uh, that Those were since uh, ameliorated um, through just some, some, I think they had to move a bunch of USDC around. But we've seen actually, um, we've seen all-time high net outflows from Binance. I think, uh, I believe it was like yesterday, there was like billions like of dollars. That, that Nine billion, something like that. Yeah, something like, like that. Something like that. Flows, I think it was something like that. 
Right, right, right. But uh, you know, to be clear, that's a very small portion of Binance's total yeah. um, assets and liabilities. So there's still, I mean, there's what are there, 60, 70 billion, something like that in total. Um, so it's a, it's a fraction of what they have. But this is probably the biggest case of outflows that we've seen from Binance um, in a very, very, very long time. So um, the question that is now circulating is like, is Binance the next FTX? Um, I, I personally think that this is pretty questionable. Um, I think Binance is just in a very, very different position than FTX. But that being said, the risk of the DOJ bringing charges against uh, Binance is a very different kind of risk than the risk you might worry of just a vanilla bank run. So curious if you guys have a perspective on all the fear uh, around Binance right now. I mean, I think most likely I would guess that Binance is not doing the kind of fraud that FTX is just because the idea that there would be two of those is like, that's as crazy as <laughs> you the You just have FTX, a hard time believing it? As crazy as the whole FTX episode has been, I kind of, yeah, I, maybe I shouldn't discount the like really wildly impossible, but everything so far has been so wildly impossible. Who knows? I guess it could be, but as long as we're still not like a full on clown world mode, I would imagine- yeah you know, Binance hasn't been using customer funds for some other purpose. So I would guess, yeah, it'll be And slight like correction, I think the weekly outflow is around 5 billion. So it's it's actually even less. It's less than what FTX had to do in that day, where it was like six and then they shut off. Mm. Yeah, and Larry Cermak tweet, uh, tweeted an image of um, the Binance Bitcoin reserves and it's like, you know, over time, this thing that go, goes up, or I guess since I'm doing it for the audience, I should do it this way. And then it shows like, a very, very, very slight decrease recently. <laughs> and it, but it's this huge mountain of Bitcoin they're on. So, you know, um, whereas, you know, obviously with FTX, you couldn't even find their cold wallet. So. Yeah. I think the other thing is that in, in absolute terms, I think a lot of people are now conflating FTX with like every exchange. And the reality is that FTX was pretty unique. FTX didn't make a lot of money as we're now increasingly learning the, all the ways in which they didn't make a lot of money. Um, the one thing that you can say about Binance, and that now people are, even, even in congressional hearings, people are saying about Binance, is that Binance is evil because they, they weren't doing all the crazy shit that FTX was doing of buying distressed companies. So Binance has been, you know, if anything, they've been impressively financially prudent in not trying to catch any of these falling knives. They just keep the business running. And so, you know, up till, up till today, Binance has been incredibly profitable um, to the point where I would be very surprised if Binance were in anywhere near a similar position to FTX, much less really any other exchange in this industry. So now that being said, that doesn't stop there being fraud, doesn't stop there being violations of anti-money laundering statutes, which is seems to be what the DOJ is, is uh, focused on. Um, but, you know, as for them not having the money, uh, that seems pretty, that seems pretty wild to me. Like unlikely. So, yeah. But, um, to, to, uh, Tarun was mentioning this in our chat, that um, that doesn't stop the Congress from pointing fingers at CZ and claiming that somehow the FTX collapse was CZ's fault. Uh, there was some, there was some uh, testimony oh, from Kevin O'Leary. Kevin O'Leary. Let's save I didn't watch it. I, I saw this thing you said. Because we, we, we got to like, we got to like properly slice and dice this like. Okay. We'll play back a clip next time. Yeah. Okay. Great. Great. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't actually see it. So I don't, I don't know what happened. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, and it's so it's crazy. I, 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 I was sad for humanity watching that. Yeah, but it's weird to me that like Congress would invite somebody who was like an investor and then also this paid spokesperson for FT. Like, like I, I just was like, oh, that needed to have been like Congress seriously? also does clickbait. Turns out, you know, 
They just need they just need eyeballs. No, but what's weird is like you would imagine for congressional testimony there you would need to have a fact basis with what you say. You know, they're like the 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 notion that you can get up there and then just say Didn't Sam testify in front of Congress? <laughs> Well, yeah, but I, I, so yeah, okay, but he was doing, yeah, so Kevin O'Leary, all I'm trying to say is even <laughs> after the facts have come out, Kevin O'Leary is saying things that are like just not true whatsoever, despite the fact that like all the, the facts have come out. So it's just very weird. And, and, but it's weird to me that like even with all the information, the facts coming out, that they would invite this person who is then just Shark spouting over to Congress. <laughs> yeah, like he's just like, like, He's a paid spokesperson for FTX, and now he's spouting this weird conspiracy theory that has no basis in reality. So it's just like, okay, whatever. I mean, the entire witness list at the Senate was designed to allow everybody to participate in grandstanding, like, across the board. Whereas the House, the two witnesses that they had planned were the people closest to the FTX drama who would be most equipped to actually speak with authority on like what actually happened. The Senate hearing had people that were quite far removed from FTX who have no more information about it than you or I or anyone on Twitter. Fundamentally, maybe Kevin has the most because he was a paid spokesperson, but (laughs) no one else there had any access to any information whatsoever. The idea of him having any information that isn't just like Reddit. The the witness list, it was like, it's like, Calling a witness, you know, to a, I don't know, a murder trial. That's somebody that wasn't at the scene of the crime. Yeah. But, but it's like paid by the murderer to <laughs> advocate on behalf of And with that, I feel like we put the final dagger in. Okay, perfect. All right. Well, we're going to open the next show with some clips from Kevin O'Leary's testimony. And then we'll, we'll uh, get the full, the full treatment there. All right, we're 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 at time, so we're gonna go ahead and wrap for this week. But I'm sure there's gonna be more juicy news next time. Um, thank you, everybody, for tuning in, and we'll see you all soon. Yeah.